Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading for today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, and verses 18 to 23. When I am done reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants, nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you shall become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tomison. Good morning, everyone. Uh-uh. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I know it was a um, it was a long weekend. If I can just ask that we the empty seats in front of you, please take take them. They weren't reserved. They weren't paid for. Um, so please just take them, please, so that we can just move forward and um, and this row in between Wura and JK. Um, in front of Samuel, there are some seats. Yeah, no. Don't let me have to mention your name. <clears throat> yes, yes. All right, thanks. Um, 
Let's just say a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so, so, so much. Um, the song we just sang is really powerful, reminder of what we believe. We believe in you, God, who has revealed yourself in three persons. We believe in the virgin birth of Christ, our Messiah, who died in our place. We believe in his death, sinless atoning death for us. We believe he's coming back. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the new heavens and the new earth. And we believe all these things, not because we have been clever to come up with them by ourselves. Lord, you have revealed them to us in your word. Lord, we come to that same word this morning. And we ask that you reveal Jesus Christ to us and help us to see you and help us to follow you and love you and love your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you again. Um, my name is Emmanuel. If there's anyone who is just joining us for the first time. And what we've, we've, we're in the middle, well, not middle, the end of a series on leadership and followership. And we spent the last five weeks considering what leadership and followership looks like in, in the life of the local church, particularly what, what it should look like in city church. And so we um, looked at how leadership, in the first three weeks, we looked at how leadership should be responsible, servant-hearted, and moral. And two weeks ago, Dami started us off on, on the followership bit, and we saw how followership should be faithful and last week courageous. And today we end the series. I don't know, ending sermon series is a bit of a um, strange feeling because Typically, during the announcement, everyone knows that there's a new series starting. And so the video is played, the announcement is made, but you still have to end the series. And for some reason, I was the one who ended the series last time. I'm the one ending it again today. Um, let's hope that it will end well. Um, so we end the series today, and one of the things particularly that I was thankful for, and I'm sure quite a number of us were thankful for, is how that God actually gifted us with two new leaders, um, well, in terms of our overall leadership, two new overall leaders in City Church. And so we ordained two deacons, um, Deacon Femi and Deacon Kemi. Um, and we're hoping by God's grace that they're actually the first of many more to come. And so we come to the end of the series today, um, and we'll look at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's a rather interesting one because it presents to us an idea that as Lagosians, as Nigerians, as Africans, we're very familiar with. is the idea of competition or rivalry or partisanship. It's something that we are very familiar with. Some of us may have grown up in polygamous settings or in, um, in very extended large families where everybody actually Eating a meal was, was a race, was a competition between people. I've heard of stories of people where they would just serve in a very big bowl and they'll put it in the middle of like 10, 20 children. And it's like the mom just blows a whistle and everybody just goes grabbing and rushing for a little piece of meat. And God help you if you're a very slow um, person like me, you end up licking the end of the, of the soup. So the idea of division, the idea of partisanship, the idea of competition, rivalry, is something that we're very familiar with. I remember, particularly for us sports fans, I remember watching a commercial. I can't quite remember what brand it was, but it was a football advert. And in the advert, there were, apparently was in a football stadium, a, two teams, two rival teams had played. And of course, one team had won. 
And so there was this father and son who were in support of the team that had won, and they were singing their team's anthem and walking joyfully towards their car. And they passed through one of the stories in the building to go through the elevator and go down to the car park. But as they press the button of the elevator and the doors open, it turns out that it's this other team, um, the fans of the other team, the, the team that has lost that in the elevator. And so the father already knows what's going on. But then the son, who is on her way, enters and he wants to keep on singing in the elevator. And the father quickly covers his mouth before they beat them up inside the elevator. Or for those of us who are in Nigeria here, um, where every now and then you go to, or you hear stories of people who go to watch football matches in a um, viewing center. And then something happens, Arsenal is winning or losing, or Manchester, City or United, whichever one is winning or losing, and then somebody is unwise and starts shouting and celebrating a rival um, team stuff. And the person ends up with a broken bottle on their head and a big gash. is rushed to the hospital. Or one that happened during these last elections, where it seemed like people in support of one particular um, political party and, and, and a candidate were at loggerheads with other people who were not in support of their candidates. It happened to APC, PDP, whoever it was. People were so passionate about their candidates. And I remember some people saying, both in this church and outside this church, people were saying, it's you people, you people that have refused to vote for my candidates. They are the ones causing Nigeria's problem. It's you people that didn't vote for my candidate that made this other person get into um, the, the, the Asuroko, get into power. So we're familiar with this idea as Africans, as Lagosians, we're familiar with this idea of rivalry, competition, partisanship. But guess what? It doesn't just stop outside there. It happens in the church as well. And so if you remember, during the elections, this one ha happened. It seemed like people who were in the denomination or in the church of the vice president, they were voting in that regard because they felt like their man was in power and he was doing God's will, even though it was difficult for him. And then those who were in, in another church, um, particularly a church where the, the, the general overseer was constantly raising prayer points, attacking the current administration. It seemed like there were those on that side who felt, you can't be a Christian and continue supporting this current administration. So Christians were at each other's throats on who to support and who not to support. And one pastor even famously said, if you don't have your PVC, no Holy Communion for you. Or one that is now currently um, very sad for me, for many of us, um, is the pastor who has been accused of um, rape and sexual abuse. And you, sometimes you want to have a conversation with some friends or people who are in, in that church. And it seems like, eh, 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 you people, you are the ones opposing God's work. You are the ones that the devil is using you people to fight against our man of God. Well, the good news, if it is good news, is that this kind of partisanship, this kind of division was not just limited to Corinth. Was not, just limited, uh, not just limited to Lagos, but also um, existed in Corinth. And Paul actually, it is such a serious issue that Paul actually begins to write about it. He quickly says a few hellos in the, in the letter. And then the first thing he's talking about is the way the church is divided. And we see that in chapter 1, verses 10 
uh, all the way to 17. And very quickly, Paul has received a report for some people, and he's saying that people are divided in church. Imagine coming to a church, and you see people, some of us who may have been in some of the older um, denominations, where all the men sit on this side, and all the females sit on this side. Imagine going to a church where people who are in support of Paul sit in front, and then people who are in support of Apollos are sitting behind them, and then people who are in support of Peter or Cephas are sitting on this other side, and then there are people who are in support of Christ. And because they are the real Christians, they are the humble ones, they sit at the back. And Paul says, you guys, this is insane. This cannot be going on. And so he writes to the Corinthians in chapter 3, telling them to be impartial followers. And that's what we consider this morning, impartial followers. And he gives three arguments to the Corinthians. He says, one, partisan followers are worldly. Two, partisan followers are unwise. And three, he flips it. He says, impartial followers have everything. And so we'll consider those three arguments this morning. One, partisan followers are worldly. Two, partisan followers are unwise. And three, impartial followers have everything. And so we'll begin in verses 1 to 4. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And so even though Paul calls the Corinthians brothers and sisters, he has strong words of rebuke for them. Three times, once in verse 1 and twice in verse 3, he says, you guys are worldly. And to show what he means by worldly, um, you know, sometimes we think of worldly as someone who dresses a certain way or someone who does a particular thing or someone who looks a certain way and doesn't keep their hair combed and looks like PK. Paul says, being worldly, he, he shows the contrast in verse 1. He says, being worldly is someone who does not live by the Spirit. Verse 1, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. And so he shows that being worldly particularly means that you, you don't walk by the Spirit, but that shows itself in how you behave. And so he calls them babies. And some of us here are familiar with, the, with what it means not to go and visit someone to carry a baby, not to see a baby in church and say, oh, you're so cute, but actually to have a baby. Just think about it. Just, just think about it. You have this one person who thinks that all they have come to do in life is to drink milk and formula, and they are going to make your life miserable if they don't have it. And all the single people can have me like, I don't want any babies. No, no, that's not. But part of what it means to have a baby is simply this, this idea that the baby constantly wants milk or formula. The baby just wants to keep drinking and consuming this thing that is comfortable and convenient for it. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, you guys are babies. All you can take is milk and formula. I cannot prepare eba for you. I cannot prepare edikaikon for you. I cannot prepare amala and poundedian for you. All you guys want constantly is milk. But he says, look ahead. He says, 
there is jealousy and quarreling among you. And so Paul says to Corinthians, not just that you guys are behaving like babies, you guys are actually babies, spiritually immature. And he shows their spiritual immaturity in two ways. One, he says they cannot take spiritual food in verse 2. And then in verses 2 to 4, he talks about how they are partisan and divided. And so first, he shows that they are spiritually immature and they are worldly because they could not take solid food. So think back again to the baby. Why does a baby constantly want milk or formula or something like pap, something that is easy? It's because the baby's digestive system hasn't developed. And the baby doesn't want anything that is going to disrupt its digestive system or make it uncomfortable. And so if you like, present a dikaikong and tell, and tell the baby, ah, this, this meal is so sweet, this meal is so delicious, this meal is so wonderful. Baby doesn't care. All it wants is milk. Well, thankfully, babies outgrow it. But Paul says, you guys haven't outgrown this. You guys constantly want something that is convenient and comfortable and something that you like. You guys have refused spiritual meat. And the way he says it, actually, it shows that this is one of the reasons why many or some in the Corinthian church didn't like him and some divided and, and didn't follow Paul. Because Paul wanted to give them spiritual, um, solid food, but they always wanted milk. And so just think with me, there's this person who you think is constantly making life miserable for you. What's the reaction you're going to have? I don't want to have anything to do with him. And Paul says, you guys are worldly. You guys are spiritually mature because you don't want solid spiritual food. But he says, another reason why you guys are worldly and immature is because you guys divide over leaders. And so we talked about it in verses 10 to 17. But if you read verses 11 to 13, he says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. And so it may not be immediately clear to us, but if you look very closely, what Paul is getting at is that some in the, in the Corinthian church divided over the abilities and giftings of their leaders. Why? Paul says, some of you, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Some were thinking, this Paul guy is so phenomenal, he doesn't baptize anyone, and so they follow him. And there were some who were thinking, this Paul guy is so, I don't know, he doesn't baptize anybody, and so they stay away from him. And so the giftings or the abilities of Paul and the other leaders in church became, rather than become a point of, of being united, became a point of division. And Paul says, that is insane. That has no place in the church. And so Paul talks about Paul or Cephas or Apollos. You guys divide over this thing. You guys divide even over what it means to follow Christ. And the reason why some people divided over following Christ, so like we said, the Paul guys are in front, the Apollos guys are at the back, the Peter guys are here, and, and the Christ guys are at the back. And the reason why there was a party known as the Christ followers was because there was no other person that they could identify themselves with. They are so divided that they're even divided over the leaders God has given them. And so, now nah, I don't like Paul. I'm not going to associate with the Paul guys. 
I don't like Apollos. He's too worthy. I don't like Peter. He's too pedestrian. Uh, there's no other person I like. Uh, okay, so let's, let's, I'm a follower of Christ. Paul says, that is worldliness. And you see, the interesting thing, Paul says, he doesn't just say, you guys, this is bad, even though it is. He doesn't just say, I am disappointed. I've invested so much in you guys. I spent two years here. Even though he could have said that. But rather, what does he say in verses 3 to 4? He says, you guys are acting like mere human beings. To which the Corinthians and us in 21st century Lagos think, uh, we are human beings, Paul. And Paul says, that is exactly the problem. That is exactly the point. Every time you divide over leaders, every time you divide over how leaders make you feel, you are acting like people who are not Christians. You are acting like mere human beings. And the reason why Paul says this is because he says in verse 1, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Meaning that what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, is someone who is constantly living by the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul shows some of the attributes of what it means to live by the Spirit, and he shows that it means that we're constantly bearing fruit. We're growing in patience. We're growing in faithfulness. We're growing in kindness, in meekness. But Paul says, no, 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 you Corinthians aren't doing this. You guys are actually dividing and causing strife between yourselves. And isn't it the same thing for us today, friends? How many times have you heard a friend say, I just love this church. I love this pastor. I love that teacher. And you say, eh, why? And then a person says things like, I just like how the person makes me feel. I just feel happy after I leave church. I feel like I can go for it. I feel like I can do it. I feel like I can conquer the world. And then you tell your friend, um, yeah, but what of this thing that your pastor said or what of this thing that that teacher did? And you show the person those ways in which the teacher is actually against the counsel of God. The person says, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter. This person is helping my life. I have a family member who um, we had a conversation with the person and it was pointed out to him that this church they are going is unhealthy and is unwise for this reason, for this reason, for this reason. And the guy responds and says, I see what you are saying. But every good thing I have done in my life has happened since I joined this church. I can't leave this church. This pastor is the prophet for my life. Paul says that kind of thinking is worldly thinking. That kind of thinking is partisan and is worldly because he elevates leaders. He thinks about leaders only in terms of what they do for me and only in terms of their abilities. And there are some of us here who are non-Christians or you're a young person. I feel like I don't want to have anything to do with the church because Christians are crazy. I see all the nonsense going around and I speak to my friend and the, and the next thing my friend says to me is, Psalm 105 verse 15, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. You cannot talk about the man of God like that. And they have taken that passage out of context and used it to defend sin and used it to defend what is wrong. Can I just say to you that that is wrong? But that when Christ calls us to follow him, he doesn't call us ultimately to become followers of a man. He calls us actually to become followers of himself. And so if there's anyone who is not a Christian, anyone who thinks, I don't want to have anything to do with the church because of this, well, I present to you this Christ, 
that says to us this morning that that kind of thinking is wrong and is worldly. But if you are here and you're a Christian, can I just ask you to examine how you think about our leaders and think about the people you appreciate, the people who are Christians in, in, in spheres of leadership, whether in city church or outside city church. Is it a kind of thinking that is led by the Spirit, as Paul says in verse 1? Or is it a kind of thinking that thinks only in terms of what the leader can do for you and what they, they can say to make you feel happy and feel good? Are you only thinking in terms of, I've been down, I don't want anyone who, come, who will come and discourage me? And I'm not saying it's okay to be discouraged. I'm saying if all you're only thinking about constantly in assessing Christian leaders or assessing the fruitfulness or the faithfulness of Christian leaders is how they make you feel. Paul says that it is very possible that you have itching ears. And he says actually in 2, Corinthians, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that God is going to judge that kind of thinking. Or maybe you're the kind of person that constantly thinks of your leaders in terms of the skill set that they have. Paul talks about the people who were looking, thinking about his baptism. And so maybe you are thinking about a leader in terms of the skill set that they have. And I'm not saying that leaders aren't different. That's not the point I'm getting at. I'm sure those of us who have been in this church know that when Pastor Femi is preaching, there's a difference. You have more extended stories. I don't know how he does it. But like he wants to say A, but he starts from like minus Z, and then he comes to A. And when Dami is preaching, like, I don't know how he comes up with these stories. The stories just keep coming, and the illustrations are fun and everything. And that's not the point I'm getting at. There will be differences between leaders. But Paul says, if what you are constantly using to evaluate the faithfulness of leaders is their skill set, and what they can do, and what they can bring, and what they bring to the table, it is very possible that you are thinking like a worldly person. Paul says that kind of thinking is partisan and does not have any place in the church of God because it is not led by the Spirit. And so he's called to the, to, the, to, the, to the Corinthians that impartial followers are people who are spirit-led in their thinking, spirit-led in how they evaluate their leaders, spirit-led in how they think of the benefits that they get from the church, spirit-led in how they seek to think about the church. But the second argument he presents in this passage, is that partisan followers are unwise. And we see that in verses 5 to 9. And so he continues with his rebuke. He says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. And then he goes all the way on to verse 9. He says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And so in this section, Paul shows three things about the importance of thinking about our leaders, or thinking of our identity as followers in the church. First, he shows how we must think of the identity of leaders. Second, he shows how we must think of the identity of God. And third, he shows how we must think of the identity of Christian followers. So the identity of leaders, the identity of God, and the identity of Christian followers. What do I mean? In verse 5, he says, this is how we must think of Christian leaders. And he begins by saying, what is Apollos? And that is actually quite a biting remark. He doesn't say, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Paul wants us to think about the nature of the identity of Christian leaders. 
And then he goes on to say that these guys, in verse 5, he says, they are only servants through whom you came to believe. And so Paul takes one of the lowest classes in the Roman society. He takes one of the people that people, one of the um, um, classes that people don't want to identify with, and Paul shows that this is actually how leaders are to be regarded. So in the Roman society, if you had the emperor or the Caesar at the top, at the very bottom were servants and slaves. And Paul doesn't say that this, the, these leaders in the church are like, this, are like Caesar and the emperor, and everybody's meant to bow down to them. Paul says they are servants. In verse 5, he says that their job was assigned to them. In verse 8, he says, one waters, one plants, meaning that they do different things, but they have only one purpose, which is serving God. And so what Paul is getting at is that the way to think about our leaders as Christians is people who are given to serve God's church. People who are given to serve God's church. And Paul says, when we don't realize this, we are unwise. And then he goes on to say that it is also important, it shows the identity of God, and it's also important how we think about God. So in verse 5, if Paul and Apollos are servants, whose servants are they? And he tells us the answer in verse 5, in verse 6. It says, it is God who assigns the task. It is God who gives them what to do. But he also goes for that in verses 6 and 7. He says that it is also God. God does not just give them what to do. He says God is the one who makes things grow. He's so keen on this point, knowing the Corinthians and knowing us in 21st century Lagos, where we tend to evaluate things only in terms of of their numbers, only in terms of fruitfulness. He says, guys, God is the one who makes things grow. In verse 8, he says, God is the one who is going to reward. In verse 9, he says, God is the one who is actually doing the work. And the point Paul is getting at is that every time we are partisan in our followership, every time we are divided, it is because we don't know who God is. We don't know who God is as the one who assigns tasks to leaders. We don't know who God is as the one who actually makes things grow. God is the fertilizer, he seems to say. God is the rain. God is the sunshine that is needed. God is the one who makes things grow. And he says God is the one who is going to reward, and God is the one who is actually doing the work. In verse 9, he says, we are co-workers in God's service. And the idea there is not that, oh, um, um, Apollos and I are working in the same place. Or that Apollos, God, and I are actually doing the same thing. No, the idea is that God is the one who is actually working, and it is our privilege as servants of God to actually work alongside God in what he is doing. But then it comes in verse 9. He shows the identity of the followers. He shows the identity of the Corinthians. He says, guys, part of the reasons why you are divided is because you don't know who you are. And so in verse 9, it says, you are God's field, God's building. And the idea there is that if God had a piece of property, Corinthians, you guys are God's piece of property. You guys are God's field. If God had a house, you guys are God's house. And the point he's getting at there is that he flips the prideful partiality of the Corinthians. He's showing that leaders, the church doesn't exist because of leaders. Leaders exist because of the church. 
And the point, and he doesn't, it's not as though he wants the Corinthians to become prideful or boastful because already in chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, he shows how God doesn't call those who are qualified. God doesn't call the noble. God doesn't call those who are wise. He shows rather that because God has called us, that is where we have our identity. And so he says, every time you guys are divided, every time you guys are divided over your leaders, it is because you do not know whose you are. And the same thing comes to us, this same truth comes to us by the Holy Spirit this morning, brothers and sisters. That part of the reasons why we are partisan is because we are unwise. We are unwise about the identity of our leaders. We are unwise about the identity of leaders God has given us both in city church and in the Christian community. You know, sometimes we think of our leaders as like deputy God. Like we don't say it like that, but... That is really how we think of our leaders. As like, man, I can't see God. He's the big man upstairs. But like this man of God, this is like God sitting right here. And Paul says that is wrong. Paul says that they are servants. This doesn't mean that we treat them anyhow or like we just shove them in the pat them on the head like say, oh, Femi, hey, go and help me do this kind, this thing. Or Moses, hey, come here, come here, come here. I need you. You're my servant. That's what Emmanuel said. No, that's not the point he's getting at. Because actually, Dami showed us two weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, submit to your leaders. Obey them. That's what the Bible commands us. And Paul is actually going to get to chapter 11, verse 1. And he's going to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so this means that we need leaders. This means that we need leaders in the church. But what Paul is getting at here is that we only follow our leaders to the extent and in the way that they are following Christ. And this means that you have to know Christ well. If you are going to be a good follower, if you are going to be a non-partisan follower, if you are going to be an impartial follower who actually follows your leaders well, you have to follow and know Christ well. But Paul also says to us, another word of application for us is that we should beware of solo leaders. We should beware of leaders who think that they are the end, that the be all and end all of the church. This is so important, and this is why the Bible actually presents to us a plurality of elders, a plurality of leaders as the form in the way, as the form in which the church should be governed. And I thank God that we actually do have that in City Church here. We have a, a plurality of leaders, and I don't say that to to hoodwink you. I don't say that to blackmail you. I don't say that so that your um, your 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 guard can be dropped. But I say that to say that that is important in the church. Damian and I get to sit down on some of on many of the leadership meetings, and one of the ways our leaders usually start is by confessing sin to one another. And what that does is that it brings down whatever identity you had in yourself as a leader, as this person who is, who is knowledgeable, this person who does not sin. And as you confess that sin, it says, I need accountability. I need help. I need brothers and sisters in my life to help me as I become a Christian. And Paul says what he's getting at here is that as you think about what it means to actually follow Christ well, and you realize that this is essential and this is important, it makes you clear-eyed and knowledgeable about what it means to be an impartial follower. But then Paul also mentions God's identity as the one who makes things grow. 
In other words, what he's getting at is that fruitfulness in Christian work is primarily, primarily God's work. And please don't hear me say that numbers aren't important. I jokingly remarked in the first service that numbers are important, and that's why we have a book called Numbers in the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, Bible tell, the Bible tells us that 3,000 people were saved and won to Christ in one day. In Acts chapter 4, we are told that the number of the church at that time became 5,000. So numbers are important. But the point here is, and what Paul is getting at, is that if we are only constantly evaluating our leaders in terms of the outward fruitfulness of their work, we are unwise and we are partisan. If all that matters is how large a pastor's following is on Instagram or how influential their reach is, Paul says you are unwise and you are partisan. I had someone, um, I went to visit a family member um, almost two years ago now. And so there was this other friend of theirs who was in the place. And so the person, we got talking and the person asked, so what church do you attend? And then I told the person, I'm pretty sure, hey, see the church, where's that one? I've not heard of that one. So I told him, say, how many are you guys? I knew this, I knew this was not going to end well. At that time, we were, we were just about like, like there were more spaces that you can see now. Let me just put it like that. We're, we're about 60. And so I told the guy we're about 60. And the guy said, ah, that one is an Abele church. And in, in Yoruba, Abele church means like a church by the corner, a church under the roof. Like basically, that's, that was not, that's not a serious thing. And the point he was getting at is that you guys are insignificant. You guys are nothing because you guys are small. And Paul says that kind of thinking is a very unwise thinking because it thinks that fruitfulness, it thinks that fruitfulness is the work of someone else. Paul says that fruitfulness is actually God's work because God owns the building. God assigns the task. God makes things go. God is the one who is going to reward. But you know what all this also means for us is that Paul says that the Corinthians and we as Christians, we are God's building, God's field. And what Paul is getting at here is, is that what is important is not who you are, but whose you are. What is, not, what is important is not how many people you have following you on Instagram as a church or as a leader, but it is rather who you belong to as a church. And have you observed that many people who are impartial, who are partisan followers actually, have very defective views of the church, of the local church? People who are partisan in their thinking are the kind of people who are very quick to actually stay at home. After all, all I need is a word from God, and I can get that from the podcast of my favorite pastor. After all, all I need is to just sow and give to God somewhere and so I can give to that ministry even though I don't know anybody there, I don't know anything about them. Paul says, no, 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 no. That you guys, as a group, you are God's building, God's field. In, in, in verses 16 and 17, he says, you are God's temple. And this is why we gather together. This is why Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that there is no excuse for staying away from the gathering of brothers and, and sisters. Paul says the reason why God has gifted leaders to the church is because he is doing something, not through the leaders primarily, but through his church. 
God's mission plan is not one person standing on a field somewhere calling people to Christ. God's action and mission plan is a group of people deployed into various spheres of life who are serving Christ in the different spheres where he has called them. And Paul says, every time you guys have a defective view of the church, it is because you are partisan. It is because you are unwise. Can I just urge us this morning that being part of a church is not a good to have. It is a need to have. Being active and faithful and serving in the church is not just something that you can, you can waive, something that you can dispense with. It is not an elective course. It is required to make you through university. And Paul says to us this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are God's building. And this is how we actually become impartial followers of Christ. We serve in the church. We're dedicated to the church. We give our lives to the church because Christ has done the same for us. But the last thing Paul makes, the last argument Paul makes is that impartial followers have everything. And we see that in verses 18 to 23. And so he says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So he continues with this argument about how being partisan or how being a partial follower in the church is unwise. And he says this kind of thinking is unwise because it comes from the world and not from God. And so in verse 21, he says what it means actually to be wise in God's sight is not to boast about human leaders. And this is something that is very counterintuitive in a city like Lagos, and it was for the Corinthians as well. Because we, we know very well as Lagosians that if you have something, you actually have to flaunt it. You actually have to boast about it. But Paul says, no, that as a child of God, as a Christian, that we are not meant to boast about our leaders. We're not even meant to spiritualize our boasting. We Christians are good at this. We don't brag about the watch we own. We don't brag about the car we own. But we, you know, like to brag about the revelation you have from the word of God. We like to brag about how, oh, I met this person and I said this thing to this person and this person was here. Paul says that kind of boasting is wrong. But, you know, he doesn't just say stop boasting. Because he could actually have just ended there. Because in verse 19 and 20, he actually says, God is going to judge this kind of boasting. And he could have ended there. I said, guys, stop boasting. End of chapter. Ahead, this next issue. But no, he doesn't stop there. He actually, by God's grace, gives us a gem to consider. He says, one more reason not to be uh, partisan followers is because impartial followers have everything. So in verses 21 to 22, he says, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All things are yours. And at first, it looks like this does not make sense. Like, Paul, how can you say all things are yours, so stop boasting? I thought it's because all things are mine, so I should actually now start boasting. 
But Paul shows that the reason why we boast is often because we don't have. So think, for instance, um, you see someone in a city like ours, you see someone on the road, two people arguing, they just hit each other's cars, and they're shouting, and then very soon the argument becomes, you don't know who I am. You don't, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? Or you see someone who just bought really lovely piece of jewelry or a really lovely bag, and the person actually is vaunting it and flirting it in your face. Let's think about that for a minute. Why do people get into arguments and the next thing is, you don't know who I am? The reason Paul says is because there is something lacking at that instant that you actually want the other person to give you. So this example about the person who, the people who are arguing between themselves and, and the issue is you don't know who I am. Why is the person saying that? It is because at that point in time, the person realizes a deficit of respect. That there is a certain level of respect that is owed me from this person. And he doesn't want to give it to me. And so I'm going to boast about who I am so that when he realizes who I am, he then gives me the respect I deserve. Or the person who is boasting and bragging about the things they own. It is because at that instant they realize that, wow, this thing is so precious and held in value by people. People don't usually have it, but now I have it, and I want people to think of me a certain way. And so I'm going to tell them that I own this amount of things or this number of things so that they can think of me in a certain way. Paul says we boast because we do not have. And so he says to the, to the Corinthians that you guys don't boast because all things are yours. All things are yours. And when he says all things are yours, he doesn't mean like, oh, you guys, we suddenly have no need in this life. You suddenly have no problem in this life. No, that's not what Paul is saying. That is prosperity theology, and that is wrong. But when Paul says all things are yours, he means that everything that we have, every situation we are in, exists to serve us as people of God. Everything that we have, every situation we are in, exists to serve us as people of God. And so he makes the list. Paul or Apollos or Cephas, speaking about the leaders that God gives his church, they exist to serve us. He says the world or life or death or the present or the future, he says, meaning every situation, every circumstance, every season of life we are in exists to serve us as the people of God. All things are yours. Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes the reason why Following God is extra difficult. It's because you are in a particularly difficult season and you begin to doubt the goodness of God and you doubt the leaders that God has given us. Or you hear the news happening in the church and, man, the church is such a crappy place. Can I even trust everyone? Paul says, all things are yours. Or when you're thinking about how difficult life is because you just lost, lost a loved one and you're in the throes of death and you are grieving, Paul says, even that is yours. We are thinking about how difficult the present circumstances are and how you are grappling with a certain illness or a certain disease or a certain difficult unemployment or whatever the situation is. Paul says, even that is yours. Or you are thinking about the future and how hopeless it seems to be in Nigeria and how it seems like our leaders have no clue. And what does the future hold for me and my family and my kids? Paul says, even that is yours. It says impartial followers have everything because everything that happens in life exists to serve you as God's own. 
And City Church, can I say this same thing to you this morning? In fact, the Holy Spirit says this same thing to us this morning. All things are yours. Paul and Apollos and Cephas are yours. Anselm and Augustine and Edwards and Owen are yours. Whitfield and Wesley are yours. Slicer and Ajayi Crowder are yours. Lloyd-Jones and John Stott and John MacArthur and Tim Keller and John Piper are yours. S.G. Elton and Ayo Babalola and Bile Akoni and Tony Okoro and Femi Oshunui and Francis Chigbo and Yemi Oshunubi and Moses Kesman are yours. Kemi Olojolu is yours. Femi Akinware is yours. Dami and Temidayo are yours. Faith and Toki and Dr. Shaw and Moses and Hira and Olumide and Lola and Feyi are yours. City Church, all things are yours. The death of your loved ones, the bad head day you're experiencing, the difficult circumstance you're going through, the uncertainty of the future, all things are yours. And why? How? How is everything mine? Paul says in verse 23, because you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Because I am Christ. And Paul shows us how did partisan followers like the Corinthians, and how do partisan followers like you and I, who divide over our leaders, who divide over the nature of the church, who divide over issues, how are all things ours? Paul says, because we are Christ's. And he actually shows us in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 13, that the reason why all things are ours the reason why all things can belong to partisan people is because we have an undivided Christ, a Christ who is not partisan. We have a Christ who did not look at some of us and say, hmm, I like this person. I'm going to die and save this person. I don't like this one. I don't like her face. I don't like the way um, Cam is looking at me. I'm not going to save her. No, he says, I love you. I love you. I give my life to each and every one of you. And he calls us to become his own. We have a Christ who did not selectively obey the, world, the will of God, but he completely entrusted himself to God, even when he meant dying on the cross for you and I. And so Jesus Christ can say in Psalm 40, verse 8, I have come to do your will, O God. Your law is written upon my heart. And he goes all the way to the cross and gives his life as a ransom for each and every one of us. That is the undivided Christ we have. And Paul says, this is the reason why everything in life can be yours. Your leaders can be yours. Your difficult circumstances can be yours. The hardships you are facing can be yours because you have an undivided Christ. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, this same undivided Christ presents himself to you this morning and says that everything can be yours. The bad news is that if you're not a Christian this morning, everything is not yours. Everything is not working itself out for your good in the end. No matter how pleasant it looks, nothing is working out for you ultimately. But Paul says that everything can be yours because there is an undivided Christ. And I invite you this morning, if you're not a Christian, to put your faith and trust in this undivided Christ who fully obeyed the will of God. But if you are a Christian here this morning, Paul says there is hope because we have an undivided Christ. We can be undivided and impartial followers of this Christ. 
I love the way he says it so beautifully in Romans chapter 8. He says, verse 31, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Christ, along with Christ whom he has gifted us with, graciously give us all things? And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Even when your trouble looks like it's a person, even when your hardship looks like it has become personified, even when your persecution looks like a person, even when there's famine or nakedness or danger or sword, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And says in verse 20, verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself as a ransom for us. And so he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. City Church, all things are yours because you have an undivided Christ who calls you to himself this morning to be an impartial and undivided follower of this same Christ who gives us leaders to serve and to love in the church. Let's just bow down our heads as we reflect on this great undivided Christ. And our very partial and partisan selves All things are yours. Your leaders are yours. The circumstances of life is yours. Everything exists to serve God's counsel in your life. And he says, no, guys, don't be partisan. Don't be worldly. Don't be unwise. You have everything that you need because you have an undivided Christ. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this giving yourself to us as the truly undivided, impartial follower. You served God all the days of your life. You did God's will all the days of your life here on earth. And out of that obedience, you see the travel of your soul and you're satisfied because you called us to yourself to be yours. So Lord, we ask that you help us here this morning to be impartial, undivided followers of Christ but also impartial, undivided followers of our leaders so that your mission and your vision for City Church and for our city can be accomplished. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.